is like this slow and steady thing of Bundown going from here's a niche product that a handful of people are using to like, oh, hundreds and thousands of people are sending emails every day. This thing has some legs. I need to take it seriously. Hello and welcome back to Indie Bites, the podcast where I bring you stories of fellow indie hackers in 15 minutes or less. In this episode, I'm joined by Justin Duke, who is the founder of Buttondown, a simple email newsletter tool without all of the bloat. In December 2022, Buttondown was around 15k MRR. Justin also runs Spoonbill, which is a way to stay updated on when people change their social profiles. At the time of recording this, Justin was an engineering manager at Stripe, so you hear references to that, but he since left to go all in on being a founder. A big thank you to Hrefs for supporting this podcast. If you're looking to get started with SEO, Hrefs have everything you need. First, their YouTube channel and written content will help you understand the basics. Then you can use their free webmaster tools to audit your website and prioritize the changes needed to improve your search rankings. Then when you start to see the fruits of your SEO labor, you can upgrade to Hrefs more advanced tools to build a traffic powerhouse. To get started, head to hrefs.com AWT. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com or hit the link in the show notes. I've put an extended 40 minute version of this chat on the Indie Bytes membership where you find out a little bit more about what Justin does on a day to day. I'll pop a link in the show notes where you can sign up for $60 a year. Let's get into this chat with Justin Duke. Justin, welcome to the pod. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to have you. I'm excited to chat a little bit about Button Down. So in 2016, you launched it. Was that after Tiny Letter was acquired by MailChimp? It was. A tiny letter was still around, but it was definitely at the point where you can kind of tell after a piece of software gets acquired whether or not the parent company is going to, you know, invest some TLC into it and like try and update the branding and make it faster, or it's just going to kind of shuffle along like a zombie app. And it was very clear that tiny letter was was going the route of the ladder. So when you started Button Down, were your ambitions to turn it into something big? Was it just a tool for yourself? originally meant to be just a thing that I could run on my own laptop. Like the yeah. the example I always give is for the first month or so that I was building up button down, it didn't have a user model because my entire concept was just like, I'm going to have this be a self-hosted thing. Maybe I'll make it open source and I'll just have it be a thing that can scratch my own itch. And it wasn't until I started sharing sort of the, you know, uh, working in public style screenshots on Twitter and with a couple friends where they're like, if you publish this thing, like I want to sign up, I want to pay for it. This looks like exactly what I would use. At what point did you decide that actually this is something I'm going to turn into something that is going to be a side project, it's going to earn a little bit of money and you're going to launch it to the public? I think it was a conversation with my friend Yanni, who was also sort of evaluating side projects at the time. And I kind of had this back and forth with him of like, I could have this be a thing that I spend a month on and it'll exist indefinitely, don't need to worry about it. It's a fun experiment, but nothing more serious. He's like, I've seen how people are reacting to this thing. You should really push yourself a little bit larger and try and make your ambitions a bit more grand than just like a nice piece of software that you and you alone can use. Other people deserve to kind of use this too. (laughs) At that point, did you just do the usual product launch, hacker news, put links everywhere and sort of hope people sign up or did you put a little bit more thought into it? (laughs) Honestly, it was probably even even less than that. Like (laughs) this was the first time I had made something that I was charging money for over the internet that wasn't like an iOS app, right? And so when I originally did the launch, it was intentionally very, very low key. I, I posted on Twitter, I emailed a couple of folks who had asked to be on the you know equivalent of an invite list. And my goal for the first week or two was just like, let's make sure this thing doesn't collapse under its own weight. And I kind of 
went through the opposite of the more traditional advice nowadays, which is you have the landing page, you do the big <laughs> launch, and then once you have validation, like you build out all oh, the rest of the feature set and you start charging for it. I think that's great advice, but I definitely came at it from perspective of I want to build the thing rather than like I want to be able to charge for the thing or validate yeah. the idea. It was only until after I had a couple dozen folks who were using it regularly who had helped polish some of the, the rough edges and identify a couple areas where the product could be better. Then I kind of went down that traditional route of like, okay, do the show HN post, launch on product hunt, try and get the groundswell that way. Was there a particular inflection point after you'd done that launch when people started paying for it, when you thought this could be something a little bit more, a side product that's doing a nice little bit of revenue for you? I think the post public launch bliss is definitely a real thing, right? Where it's, you see this huge spike of new folks <laughs> join, you suddenly start getting all these transactional emails from Stripe. It's really, really exciting. And of course that, you know, spike is a spike, right? You don't have the exponential growth except for in very rare cases. What was most exciting to me about Bundown was the fact that after that original spike, there's still this like pretty significant month over month, week over week growth of even when I'm not trying to really push Bun down as a product, people are just discovering it independently because their friend is sending out a newsletter and they're so entranced by that they're signing up. Like the inflection never really happened all at once. It was like this slow and steady thing of Bundown going from here's a niche product that a handful of people are using to like, oh, hundreds and thousands of people are sending emails every day. This thing has some legs. I need to take it seriously. You're almost 12K now. It's almost six years after. That's crazy to say. 2016 was <laughs> six years ago. So it, it's not something that you you're growing really fast, but it's growing steadily and nicely. Now, a lot of indie hackers I talk to are wanting to build their side projects in order to leave their jobs and work on their side projects full time. And if they got to 10, 11K, they could probably do that. For you, is that different? Because you're working at Stripe. Is it a case of you just like the extra income? Are you doing anything with that money? Is it going back into the business? Are you just letting it accumulate? One of these like cliches about startups, right, is that they're default dead. Like any startup idea, if you neglect it for a period of point in time, it's going to die out. It's not going to hit traction. I think one of the things I love about side projects is they're not right. They're default alive. If you mm. find the right idea, even if you're not having a huge amount of growth, by virtue of you being the only person who is working on it, who's paying expenses for it, if it sits and just like slowly grows a couple percentage points every week or every month for a year, that's not a bad thing as opposed to that being a bad thing. If you yeah. have, you know, 20 people on your payroll and you're burning tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, like that's an issue. And with button down, my, my goal was never like, oh, I want to hit 5K MRR in 12 months or else this thing is a bust because I want to leave my job. Like I have no desire to, to leave my day job. I really love the work that I get to do. For me, the success condition of button down was more around finding a tool that I was proud of and using that as a way to get better at a lot of things. Like what I love about building a side project and growing a side project is you get to exercise a lot of muscles that you probably don't in a larger corporate job, right? Like I get to do a lot of customer service. I get to do a lot of marketing and rapid experimentation. And regardless of where you are, unless you're working for a very, very early stage company, you don't get to wear all of those hats. And I feel like I almost get to cosplay as a bunch of different job descriptions throughout the week, which has always been what makes Bundown so fun and rewarding to come back to. 
Let's move on to pricing. You work at Stripe, so I'm guessing this is very much in your bag at the moment. You have both metered subscription, which is where as you go up in subscriber numbers, you have to pay more. And you also have the subscription model where you can pay for more features. How does that dynamic work? I'll be honest with you. The dynamic works incredibly poorly. And this is why engineers should not do pricing plans on their first go. Because in my head, this was like a very clever, elegant way for me to align my costs as the person who's sending out these emails with the the actual user, right? Where it's, oh, you're sending out more emails that scales with how much I charge you. And then there's also this like rich feature set that is sort of lump sum because that's the, the special stuff, right? I thought this was like a pretty good idea at the time back in like 2016 when I was devising it. And I said, you know what, I'll go back and and tweak this later if I feel like it's not a right fit. I have never gone back and tweaked it. I really want to. That's in terms of like big picture stuff that's at the top of my list. Shifting from that to like the very boring conventional three tier SaaS grid where it's like you've got the $9 a month and the $29 a month and the $79 a month. Like I really want to do that. I would love to wave the magic wand and change it. And honestly, mostly from a grokkability perspective, right? The number of emails I get from folks who are basically saying something along the lines of like, wait, so how much am I being charged? I just don't <laughs> quite get it, is, is really high. And like that's, yeah. you know, the klaxon red alert blaring that there's some issue with your pricing when your prospective customers are asking you how much they're getting charged because they're confused. It's a, a huge pain point. The other choice I made that was the right choice at the time was like, I have a pretty generous free plan. If you have less than a thousand subscribers, mm-hmm. you can send out stuff for free. That's one of the things that I think is a topic of discussion, especially in the indie hacker space, right? Of how aggressive should you be with charging up front versus having a free plan and doing a freemium type thing. I think if I were to redo that now, I would probably change the the tier a little bit and maybe make it a slightly less permissive. But also, so many of Bundown's paid users came because they knew Mm. someone who's using Bundown for free or even the the conversion from starting out free and then moving to paid has been really, really good. So I think the the jury's still out on that one. But yeah, the the metered versus flat rate has just been, if I could go back and change one thing about how I did the launch and the original build out of Bundown, it would be the pricing model. Let's talk about your day job. You work at everyone's favorite tech company, Stripe. How do you balance your time working there full time and your side projects, Justin? Balance is really the key word, right? Which is one of the things I learned when I first started Button Down was if I tried to spend every night and every weekend crammed fill with side project work and just trying to be as productive as possible that would work for like a couple weeks and then i would get incredibly burnt out and not want to look at a computer screen for an entire month and beyond that like i'm a human right i love working on side projects and i love my day job but i also have other things i enjoy in life (laughs) i want to make sure i'm not just working to the exclusion of all other activities and One of the things that I've been very, very mindful of, and even going back to your description of Bundown, the the readout of it is like, Bundown is intentionally very limited in its feature set and its service area. And that's because the more focused and the more surgical you can be with what you want a project, the more stuff you can say no to. And so one of my ongoing design deliberations with Bundown is how do I continue to pare down what Bundown does so that there's less upkeep. And what it does is it does it really, really well and really, really elegantly. That means saying no to a lot of stuff. And it also means like 
changing the timelines for, oh, this is a, a trivial feature that should probably not take that long, but because I'm doing it in between like having a full working job that I love and pour a lot of my energy and passion into, and also all of the day-to-day -day things that happen in life, it's like, all right, I need to cobble together some time here and some time there, and I need to really make sure that when I'm working on Bundown, especially something like a new feature or a new design flow, it's not like finding 30 minutes after work every day. I find I do my <laughs> best work when I'm really drilled in for a couple hours. So it's like, okay, I'm probably not going to have the time to work on this thing that I think is important for maybe another two weeks or another three weeks. But the trick is to keep, I think, top of mind what's important, not necessarily what's urgent and trying to pare down the list of quote unquote urgent things as much as you can. Does Stripe support you with your side projects? Do they let you do it? Are they happy for you to, to spend your extra time on it? Absolutely. And I think the median Stripe employee is like pretty entrepreneurial or maybe entrepreneurial isn't even the, the right word so much as like multifaceted, right? I love getting to work with folks who also have side projects or are, you know, chefs in their spare time or writers or authors in their spare time. And I think there's very much a sense of like, you need to bring your full self to Stripe, but that doesn't mean that your identity is going to be like consumed by this. I like being able to talk with folks both in my team and outside my organization about like what they're interested in outside of work. And I think in particular, one of the really big benefits of being someone who works at Stripe and has sort of the SaaS application that's growing is I get to dog food a lot of the, the new yeah. features we're working on, right? And it's really valuable for, for any sort of team to get a level of like, biased but not too biased feedback of like, okay, pretend you're someone who's never seen this documentation page before. Does it make sense? Or like, pretend you've never integrated with this set of APIs before. What does the flow look like? Where are you getting hiccups? Where are you stumbling? And actually being able to partner with teams who are working on features that are really designed to appeal to folks like me, things like the customer portal, which is sort of like your self-hosted SaaS billing page. Yeah. I think that's been a really symbiotic and a really great relationship. Let's round off on three recommendations. I asked for a book, a podcast, and an indie hacker. But actually, one more for you, considering you've got a newsletter tool. What's the favorite newsletter that you enjoy reading as well? So for book, The Great Beanie Baby Bubble, which is, you might be able to guess from the title, it's a book about the Beanie Baby craze in the, the 90s and early 2000s. In terms of podcast. The Metamuse podcast, it's two ex-Heroku folks who are now making Muse. Indie Hacker would have to be Amy Hoy. And then the greatest newsletter of all time is Matt Levine's Money Stuff. He's a writer for Bloomberg, and he writes up the financial news in a way that, like, if there's a Nobel Prize for sending emails, he should get it. The amount of humor and clarity and depth that he can jam into every single email he sends. Yeah. He's by far the greatest in my book. Justin, fantastic recommendations. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Indie Bites with Justin Duke. Don't forget to check out today's sponsor, Hrefs. To support the show and hear the full extended conversation with Justin, you can join the membership. All links are in the show notes. See you in the next episode.